1: Six dollars ninety-five cents to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box five zero eight Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, August 13th, 2012. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Okay, the Olympics are over, (laughs) but that's okay for me here in Indianapolis. It looks like we might have a football team again this year. Andrew Luck did very well yesterday. Now, if I can just have the same thoughts about the Dodgers, we'll be okay. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is... No shortage of crazy things being said about God, and the technique that many of these Bible twisters use. Well, it's it's all about Bible twisting, and you have, over the four years that I've done this program, and the in the year well, the more than a decade that I did of uh, counter cult apologetics work, you see the technique very clearly. What you do in order to twist the Bible and make it say what you want it to say. You take verses out of context. You use half verses. You use a verse here. You use a verse there. Here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse, verse. You use different translations that give you the word that you're looking for. And then what you do is as you're taking these verses out of context, you weave together a narrative that that takes these little verses out of context and then hangs them on your narrative to create the impression that what you're doing is engaging in biblical teaching. But you're not. What you're doing in a situation like that is basically weaving a tapestry of deceit, and oftentimes the motive for doing such things, not always, but oftentimes the motive for doing such a thing is... Well, to tickle and scratch itching ears in order to make money. This is a technique that a lot of people use to make money. In fact, later in the program today, we're going to be taking another look at Rod Parsley. And you're going, that name sounds familiar. It's not somebody that I've reviewed uh, regularly here at Fighting for the Faith, but since Stephen Furtick recently tweeted out pictures of he and Rod Parsley together and endorsed Rod Parsley by basically saying Rod Parsley is a preaching machine. As far as I'm concerned, that opens up the door for us to spend a little bit more time, although I could have done it at any time, more time taking a look at Rod Parsley's teaching and asking the question, why is Stephen Furtick buddies with this guy? Why Why would Stephen Furtick consider himself or publicly consider himself to be a sound biblical teacher when the company he keeps and the people he's endorsing are people who are clearly apostate bible twisters who are for lack of a better way of putting it money grubbing heretics and 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 listen i know that sounds strong here at the beginning of the program but when before we're done with this hour of fighting for the faith i think you're going to come to the conclusion that rod parsley is a money grubbing heretic in fact uh, at the second half of this hour today, what we're going to be doing is reviewing a uh, part of a recent uh, po- uh, a broadcast of Rod Parsley's program where he's literally going to basically talk to us about the power to get wealth. Did you? Apparently, God wants you to be pro- have prosperity and wealth, and he, Rod Parsley, has figured out the means by which you can have this. It's pretty straightforward, but I won't lay it out here. You'll have to let Rod Parsley lay it out for you the second half of the program. But by the time we're done with that, it's going to be absolutely clear that this guy is a money-grubbing heretic. And see, that's the thing. In false teaching, in false religion, there's a lot of money to be made, a ton of money to be made in false religion. I remember... You know, man, I can't remember how many years ago this was, but in in my studies of the ancient pagan religions of the Mediterranean world, the Greco-Roman Empire, you know, even though that wasn't really Greece and Rome were not united in that sense, but going back to the Greeks and then picked up when the Romans, uh, you know, conquered the Mediterranean world, uh, there were temples that were set up and people would bring sacrifices and offerings. And what a lot of people don't know is that this was huge business, huge business. You get a, you get a feel for this in the book of Acts when Paul, after spending three years in the city of Ephesus, it, you know, preaching the gospel and people converting en masse in the city of uh, Ephesus to Christianity, it it literally blows a hole in the uh, in the in the trade of those people who were selling little silver sh- shrines to the uh, goddess Artemis, the, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the uh, Temple of Artemis in Ephesus. And, uh, I mean, there's like nothing left of it now except for maybe like one pillar. I mean, a stork every year, you know, has a nest and, you know, uses it to, you know, feed her young there. Anyway, um, the, the, the issue is, though, is, is that in these ancient temples, there were, you know, people would want to hear from God. And so I forget the name of the exact god or goddess that this occurred in it might even have been Zeus but what they had is is that uh they had this little mechanical bird uh and uh, you know and you can ask a question of the bird and put your coin into you know a slot and it would drop into a you know in into a bin and once your money was in the bird would tweet and you know behave and all this kind of stuff and if it did one thing god was saying yes and if it said if it if the bird did another thing the god was saying no and then you know and so the idea was is that you could get a direct word from Zeus if you're willing to pay the money if you're willing to pay the money you can get a direct word from Zeus and so there has always been attached to false religion um lots of money lots of power. Uh money and power are two of the well the, the two of the major vices. There's there's more. You, 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 in fact, the, I think the unholy trinity in human nature is sex, money and power. And if you could find a way to combine all three, <laughs> you've got the uh, the sinful vice trifecta going on. It's it's a bad it's a bad thing. These things uh you know are sinful nature. Just you know, it, it it is attracted to these things like you know you know like one magnet to another if their poles are the opposite. But the the issue is is that in false religion there is a lot of money to be made because you know as what is, of the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus who was it that said was it Barnum or Bailey I forget anyway the person who said that there's a sucker born every minute and the same is true in in religion there's a sucker born every minute and the reason being is this is that the effects and consequences of our sin um they don't always show up when you're young but you just hang, hang around the planet and live for you know a few decades into your adult life and you're going to start to suffer um things aren't going to start they're, they they aren't going to work the way they were working when you were young um and you you run into diseases long-term illnesses uh you know there's all kinds of different ways in which just things go wrong with our bodies our brains family life i mean you got families that explode or implode or and, and so in relationships that just go awry and so what happens is is that people are looking for solutions to these problems and they you know number one They're looking for an easy solution. Okay. And oftentimes, the idea of simply buying off the deity with money um, is that's a simple solution. I mean, if all I need to do in order to have a miracle is, you know, pay a particular amount of money to a particular deity. Hey, no problem. I can do that. And then what happens is, is you put that deity into your debt by paying that deity, and so that it's then beholden upon that deity to well, you know, take care of you and bless you and things like that. But see, that's not the God of the Bible. That's it's the false god. It's, I mean, if you believe that you can buy off God, the the real God, with your money, um, then well, um. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, you can't. You can't buy God's blessings. In fact, God's salvation and his gifts to us are done because he is our creator. He's kind, he's merciful, he's just. He doesn't exact a payment from us. In fact, he pays the penalty for our sins for us. And so all of the blessings we receive from God really are given to us as a gift. And the person who thinks that they can put God into their debt by having audacious enough faith or by paying a certain amount of money called a seed offering, then may you perish with your money. That is just absolute blasphemy, and that's not the God of the Bible. But there's plenty of people out there who will put on the show of false piety and offer miracles for a price. They've figured out the formula. They've got the inside track. And always, what you find in these situations is is that the person making these claims, they are living opulently. They are living, you know, they are traveling around the world in private jets. They are traveling around the world, staying at five star international resorts, enjoying the finest meats, the finest wines, while the people that they've schnookered, continue to suffer, and in many times die, never having their prayers that they purchased the answer for ever being answered. Why? Because there's no formula like that given in Scripture. And so there is a lot of money and a lot of power in false religion, and uh, it's really, really, truly sad when that type of thing rears its ugly head within the visible church of Christianity, and God's people don't rebuke it, fight it call it what it is and call people to repentance. It's really, really a sad situation because oftentimes evil prevails because those who know better, for whatever reason, won't speak out. And so, and in some cases, it's just that people just don't know any better. I mean, it's in the United States of America right now, biblical literacy is at an all-time low, and as a result of that... False teaching, heresy, and people who are making merchandise of others in the name of God, stealing money from them, uh, you know, in their in, in their in their tragic circumstances. Well, those people are at an all-time high. And so pray that the Lord sends workers into the harvest field, because the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So anyway, that's uh, well that's what we're gonna do to start off today's program. Let's talk about what we're gonna do on our on this Monday after the Olympics edition of Fighting for the Faith. Since, you know, I am a, I am an Olympic file. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but I, I really enjoyed uh, the last two weeks with the Olympics. Um, completely overdosed on them. And, you know, now that the Olympics are over, I'm just not knowing what I'm going to do with myself. Not really, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying. What I thought I would do today is start off the program with two r- Olympics-related stories to play for you. The first is I've got a William Tapley update. Uh, William Tapley, the co-prophet of the end times, third eagle of the apocalypse. That guy, uh, apparently, he has seen a harbinger, an omen, a a warning sign from God uh, it, regarding an incident that occurred during the Olympics, and uh, and so this is this is bad news. for If you're trying to figure out what the future is going to bring, well, the, the, uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse, has figured out how to crack the uh, the code there. And has and he hem, himself spotted a harbinger. That's it, uh, kind of a word I'm using on purpose here. He's spotted an har- a harbinger, an omen, a bad sign at the Olympics that uh, that that we need to pay attention to. Apparently, because God's trying to get our attention through that. So we're gonna uh, play with that William Tapley segment today. Um, and by the way, those of you who are um, wondering how it is that Mexico was able to win the gold medal. In soccer, well, I've got a little one-minute video that'll explain how that happened. You know, and and all of this ties into religion one way or another. Then what we'll do is we'll take a break, come back, and then we'll do our Rod Parsley segment today. And then after that, we'll take a break. In hour number two, we're going to be uh, reviewing a sermon from a guy who, well, um, his name is Jonathan Broz uh, Brozazog. Broza- <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Brozazog. Anyway, he uh, runs Passion Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it's clear that he's a uh, he's a Furtickite. He's a guy who is, well, obviously influenced by Stephen Furtick and guys like that. And so we're going to be listening to his sermon entitled The Prodigy in Me. Apparently you don't have a sinner inside of you. You just have a prodigy waiting to get out. And so that will round out our program today. And so what I recommend is that you make yourself comfortable uh, and, you know, if you l- your listener experience, by the way, is very important to me. And so it's always important to me from time to time to give you uh, tips on how you can enhance your listener experience while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Since everybody nowadays is talking about experiences, uh, worship experiences and experiences of this and that and, you know, paranormal experiences and all kinds of experience, you know, experience being important, um, here's some tips on how. To enhance your listener experience while listening to Fighting for the Faith, uh, number one, if you have fuzzy bunny slippers, you need to don those right now. If that's only if the weather in your neck of the woods isn't like blisteringly hot. Yeah, now it, if it is like you know 110 outside, but you've got the uh, thermostat set and the AC inside of your house set at like 68, 70 somewhere in there, then it's okay to to uh, don your fuzzy bunny slippers. I, again, they do enhance your listener experience. I know this. Because I've tried it, and I am, I am a connoisseur, if you would, of fuzzy bunny slippers. If you want to enjoy an adult beverage, we don't have a problem with that. But keep in mind, the biblical prohibition is against drunkenness. You don't want to be enslaved to that good gift that God has given us. So those are just two simple ways to enhance your listener experience. Make yourself comfortable. Here we go.
2: of the world as we know it. It's the, the end of
1: the world as we know it. It's the end
3: of the world as we know it. And I feel fine.
1: Yeah, that's our music that we play every time we do a William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co profit of the End Times update. Now, those of you who are uh, watching the Olympics and you're familiar with the event, well, the the, the thing that occurred... When Serena Williams was receiving her gold medal, during the gold medal ceremony, uh, when Serena Williams uh, won the gold in London, they raised the flags and heard the the United States flag got caught up in the wind and literally fell to the ground during the playing of the National Anthem. Now, if you were thinking, well, that's no big deal, well, I got news for you. William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times, he has seen this. For what it truly is. This is an omen, a warning, a harbinger, a warning from God regarding the impending doom of the United States of America. Here's William Tapley to explain.
0: Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse, and the co prophet. Of the end times
1: now, just in case you're wondering what is the sound of the running water well, like I've like pointed out in previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, William Tapley has learned how to do post production work using a green screen, and so one of his favorite things to do is to film um natural backdrops, and so this is a, a picture of like a running brook or creek that's uh you know running pretty swiftly, and so that's the sound of rushing water behind you. Uh, behind him
0: well so that that's what's going on here. By now I am sure many of you have seen that amazing clip from this summer's Olympics where the American flag fell. That was not a coincidence. it was not an accident. That was a warning from Almighty God.
1: okay, I did not know that. I just thought that they didn't hook it on right and it was a windy day. No clue that God was trying to get our attention.
0: That was a verification that in Daniel 7 the leopard is indeed Barack Obama. That was a verification that in Daniel 8 the goat is Russia and one of the horns on the ram which is crushed by the goat refers to the United States. That falling of the American plague was a verification that Russia will win World War III while Barack Obama is president.
1: Okay, so there you go. That was a warning from God that Russia is going to win World War III while Barack Obama is president. This is not good news. This is terrible news. Now, if you're wondering, World War III, where did that come from? Well, as somebody who's been a, um, I don't want to say avid, but um, uh, how do I put this? As somebody who has been carefully watching the videos of William Tapley the 30 Glow of the apocalypse and co-prophet in the end times. I've been watching his videos for years now. Um I got to tell you, um he a while ago made the claim that World War 3 began during some incident that occurred with North Korea. I mean that was the kickoff of World War 3. I don't know if he still says this. Uh, he hasn't repudiated to the best of my knowledge. His prediction that World War III had begun with that little incident with Kim Jong-il a few years ago. So I'm not sure if we're currently in World War III, if it's still coming. Again, every time I check the local newspaper, I see nothing of the uh, troop build-ups and movements and the major uh, military campaigns associated with World War III. but you know, you, it's important that you know that.:
0: And that he will provoke the last King of the north. As found in Daniel chapter 11, verse number 40. Let's take a look at that clip.
1: So this is the clip of the Serena Williams gold medal ceremony. There's the U.S. flag flapping in the wind there in London,
0: and it just came down. First of all, as I am sure you noted, the American flag fell exactly at the time when the words of the star-spangled banner read our flag was still there if you think this was just a coincidence i've heard there are some waterfront properties in the sahara desert you may be interested in
1: right so i mean if you think that's just a you know coincidence well you're foolish because you don't have the prophetic insight that william tapley does
0: that was no coincidence That was not an accident. That was a warning from Almighty God. You will never hear Anderson Cooper or the Today Show or Stephen Colbert or anyone else in the mainstream media tell you the significance of the American flag falling.
1: Right. Because it probably was, I, I don't know, the fact that there was significance attached to it is sketchy at best. Now notice, okay, one of the reason why I use the word harbinger here is because that's technically what this is supposedly well it's what it is so apparently what it is. It's a, this is a harbinger, a warning sign from God. Pay attention here. You got God's trying to get your attention. And every time I see somebody make a claim like this that you know this type of event is a harbinger or a warning from God, I'm thinking Don't you think if God was really trying to get our attention, he would do something just a little more obvious than this, maybe attach a real message from it, you know, where it, it, you know, you know, this thing happens and then you get somebody like Elijah or, or or Isaiah or Jeremiah standing up and saying, thus saith the Lord, repent and you know, and it would get like on national news, or you, you understand what it would be unmistakably, you know, a true warning. I I see stuff like this, and I'm going, man, is if God's really trying to warn us, he really needs some help in the public relations, marketing, news thing department, because whoever is in charge of getting the word out for God regarding these things, that guy's got to he's got to be fired. I mean, serious. I'm. I. I, I you know, he's doing a miserable job because I'm looking at this particular video here on YouTube, and if that's really a warning from God, there's only one thousand six hundred and twenty-nine people who've seen this as a warning, and there's what three hundred million people in the United States. So I'm thinking, man, you know, God has. He needs to hire some better publicity folks. Because, you know, you know, first he goes through all the trouble of, like, you know, making the event occur, and then he leaves it to William Tabley to warn us? Really?
0: That it's a prophecy of the fall of America in the very near future. At the beginning of that clip, you saw Serena Williams at the left of your screen. She was standing on the top center platform accepting the gold medal. She has a very famous... African-American athlete. All of those details are important because they are a verification of Bible prophecy in this case. She stands in for Barack Obama as the leopard in Daniel, chapter number 7. The leopard has spots, therefore is both black and white, and symbolizes the mixed racial heritage of our president. The leopard is also given dominion, just like Barack Obama. And that is why Serena Williams was standing at the top center of the platform. She was a stand-in for President Obama. I was very proud to see Serena Williams win the gold medal. I was very proud to see the American flag flying above the Russian flag and the flag of Belarus. I was more than a little disconcerted, however, see the American flag fall. Because I knew right away that was a verification of Bible prophecy about the fall of America to Russia. I knew that was a verification of Daniel 11 verse 40, where the last king of the south, who is Barack Obama, will lose World War III. This war occurs when we have an African American president and that is what this Olympic incident is all about. Please wake up, America! However, we need to remember that God reveals the future not to scare us, but to prepare us. Yes, the falling of that American plague is a verification of Bible prophecy that we will lose World War III to Russia while Barack Obama is president. Also
1: so if the United States is still around and hasn't lost World War III to Russia on the day when Barack Obama leaves office, would William Tapley be willing to admit that he's a false prophet and he's not, he shouldn't be making these videos? Yeah, that's my question for him.
0: So verifies Mary's prophecy of Fatima that several entire nations will be annihilated. However, annihilation does not mean that everyone will die. As Daniel says it means that our power will be taken away and that will be a good thing that is the only way our corrupt government will be defeated I really don't believe the three R's of Ryan Romney and the Republicans can defeat the leopard
1: even though you've written that really nifty song about uh, well.
0: the only three R's that can win this election are revival repentance And
1: Mary's Rosary. Uh Uh-huh. Revival, repentance, and Mary's Rosary. Good night. Moving along. From the ITN news site in London, Great Britain, the headline reads, Mexican Warlock Neutralizes Brazilian Magic Ahead of 2012 Football Final. That would be soccer. Yeah, you're wondering how it is that uh, Mexico pulled off the win against Brazil? Well... Um, here's ITN to explain how that went down. Whilst most athletes will be subject to drugs tests following an Olympic win, it's very likely none are checked for magic or divine tampering. In Mexico, however, nothing's being left to chance ahead of the country's Olympic football finals against Brazil. The country's chief warlock, Antonio Verquez, has performed cleansing ceremonies to protect the team against
0: Brazil's occult influences. They are football fans, but they are always helping one another through magic. There are always warlocks, drums, shouts, and costumes present during games. In Brazil, I've been there. I realize there are groups day and night who help their team. Why not neutralize them? We have purer, original, and Mexican magic. Oh, man. So,
1: Chief Warlock, um, the Dumbledore of Mexico, apparently, has um, his, his... Magic came to the aid of the Mexican soccer team. That's how they were able to win the gold. But, see, it doesn't stop there. Hang on. These Meanwhile, in an unusual meeting of minds, the local Catholic church is also getting involved, dressing up a statue of the Miracle Child in Mexican football kits and holding a special service to pray for gold. Okay, now, <laughs> the, the, the only way I can describe what I'm looking at here on my computer screen is... Um. The, apparently, this is the um. Well, a um. Catholic church. They've got a what looks like a Chucky doll uh, <laughs> with hair. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it. It's 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 a doll. It it's a doll, and uh, they took it out of a little shrine that this doll was in. This apparently this miracle child doll. <clears throat> Read into that idol. I d o l. And they've put it in a um uh, Mexican jersey and um Yeah, wow. Both countries have a fixation with winning the Olympic football, the medal having proved elusive
3: for both sides. Mexico has never won, that's best coming fourth,
4: and Brazil hasn't won gold since nineteen fifty four.
1: So there you go. How was it how was Mexico able to pull it off? They well, they had their chief warlock, um the Mexican Dumbledore and the um, the Catholic Chucky doll that can perform miracles dressed up to help them. So apparently they called upon higher powers to help them win gold in um, Olympic soccer. You, you just can't make this stuff up, but it kind of comes back to the point that I was making earlier, is that when it comes to religion, well, there's a sucker born every minute. It, and, you know, I mean, hey, you know, if you want to worship a... um a catholic chucky doll um and say prayers to it and stuff don't worry they will be happy to take your um money uh for you to be able to do that and of course you you of course your favorite soccer team might win gold if you uh, make it happy so all i can say is this is just majorly Creepy. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. When we come back, we're going to be doing a Rod Parsley update. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss it because, well, Stephen Furtick says this guy's a preaching machine. Yeah, wait till you hear what his machine is preaching. We'll be right back.
5: No itching ears are scratched here.
2: You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now.
2: (laughs) (coughs) Max Holiday's Bird Theatre presents Church Day Select.
3: for tuning in to another episode of audacious bible time
2: i'm your host stanley andy today we're going to be reading from matthew chapter 3 verse 7 from the furtick audaciously revised translation of the bible here's what it says but when he saw many of the pharisees and sadducees coming to his baptism he said to them you brood of bloggers who warned you to flee
3: from your mother's basement Thank you for listening to Audacious Bible Time.
1: I'm your host, Stanley Andy.
4: Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I would invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail... How the left and the right are coming together, both religiously and spiritually, to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's religious Trojan horse. It's 500 pages, over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com, I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in biblical worldview weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and biblical worldview weekend keynote presentations. You can. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net, situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com.
1: Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. All right, we're back. Uh, Warning: Beware of people selling miracles. Um, What they're really trying to do is just pick your pocket. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio, and we're not here to pick your pocket. We're not selling you miracle healing cloths or anything like that. Instead, we're preaching the good news of the forgiveness of sins, won by Jesus Christ on the cross, and salvation's a free gift. You don't have to pay for it. That being said, it does cost money for us to preach this message and to defend the Christian faith against these types of heretics, and without your help, we can't continue to do that. So if you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, you can do so by visiting our website, FightingForTheFaith.com When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate the other says, join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And keep in mind, we're still, uh, it's still not too late. For you to uh, pick up your uh, bake sale items for this summer that that, uh, we put on a bake sale, that's what we call it, to help us get through the lean, mean summer months, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale to find out uh, how to get a hold of your PCR t-shirt or uh, uh, the bracelet that my mother-in-law made to help us get through the, the lean, mean summer months. Okay, moving along. Is this song appropriate? The uh, pet shop boys. Lot, uh, the name of the song is "Opportunities." Let's make lots of money. Now, that we use that uh, music when we are doing an update for somebody who is a money grubbing, Bible twisting, heretical televangelist type, and uh, you know this is our second opportunity since. Uh, While well, Stephen Furtick has given his nod of approval, uh, it, a Twitter endorsement of um, well Rod Parsley, it, it, if you remember, it was last week or the week before. I noted the fact that uh, Stephen Furtick had, you know, had a, a face-to-face meeting with Rod Parsley. Rod Parsley showed up at Elevation Church there in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Stephen Furtick took advantage of the opportunity, sent out an Instagram photo of him and Rod Parsley. Rod Parsley did the same. And in Stephen Furtick's uh, tweet regarding Rod Parsley, said that the man was a preaching machine. And uh, I I pointed that out as further evidence that Stephen Furtick is literally sliding into televangelist oblivion. He has jumped the tracks biblically and theologically. He's not teaching the biblical gospel. He's not rightly handling God's word. And the people he's hanging out out with, well, they're just flat-out wolves. And uh, and so, in fact, I think the name of the segment was Stephen Furtick's Wolf Mance with Rod Parsley. But uh, just recently, Rod Parsley, uh, on his... uh, Television program? I don't even know if that's the right way of putting it, but he does, he does these uh, television program segments. And, uh, yeah, he, he, the name of the segment, it was The Power to Get Wealth. That's the name of it. You can find it on Rod Parsley's website. But I'm going to play two segments from it. The first is kind of like the, the, the little thing that he has at the beginning of the program to get you to follow him on Twitter. Why should you follow Rod Parsley on Twitter? Well, because he receives direct revelation from God. Did you know that? Yeah, here's Rod Parsley to explain.
3: Oh God doesn't just reserve Sunday morning to speak to my heart. He deposits little nuggets, pieces of revelation, inspiring, encouraging words and thoughts into my spirit often several times every day. No
1: way. So Rod Parsley gets God nuggets deposited into his heart every day, several times a day. Wow. How can we have access, Rod, to these special revelations from God? I mean, you're so amazing that God
3: deposits his nuggets inside of your heart every day. Who knew? I used to keep a notepad with me all the time so I could jot them down and then... Yeah, but that would mean that you're the only person who can benefit from these special revelation God nuggets. Share them on Sunday morning or the next place I was preaching across America, but now... All I have to do is tweet them out to everyone who...
1: Oh, it's so great that you tweet out the God Nuggets that are deposited into your heart several times a day so that we can all benefit from this special revelation from God. Please, how can I follow you on
3: Twitter so that I can hear these God Nuggets? Follows me on Twitter. As soon as I receive them in my spirit, people of faith, just like you, following me on Twitter or liking me on Facebook, and they're all having a faith infusion with me every day, sometimes several times during the day. No way I could use a
1: faith infusion using God nuggets. I've been
3: looking for something like that for just the longest amount of time. And you can, too. Folks just like Karen at R59, who tweeted, I can always count on you for the real truth about God. And
1: all yeah, pray for Karen. If she thinks that she's hearing the real truth from Rod Parsley, she truly is deceived. Always
3: comes right on time. Or Natty91, who tweets... Real Rod Parsley tweets have encouraged me to live by faith, and my finances have exploded as a result.
1: No way. Her finances exploded as a result of the
3: God nuggets deposited in Rod Parsley's heart every day? No way. And today, my dear friend, I have a right now word for you that can lead you into a wide open place to receive the blessing of God. I am Real Rod Parsley, and this really can be the day for your greatest breakthrough. Let's believe it together.
1: Uh huh. So that's the opening to his television program. So, I mean, do you want to, I mean, if you would like to follow Rod Parsley and get the God nuggets deposited into his heart on a daily basis, well, you know, all you have to do is follow Real Rod Parsley on, on Twitter. And uh, with that, we're going to switch gears. We're going to fast forward a little bit in the program. And this program is dedicated to what do you, the power for you to get wealth. Now, at the opening of the program, I noted here that the technique that Bible twisters and heretics and, and folks who are trying to make merchandise of you, um, what they do, here's their technique. They take verses out of context They look for translations that say what they want it to say. They don't provide any of these passages in context whatsoever. And all the while, they're telling you a story. Okay, And so the idea is is that the narrative then that they're telling, the story that they're telling, they're trying to create the illusion that it's a biblical teaching that they're engaging in but they're not, because if they were, they would teach you God's word in context, paying close attention to what it says, using good a single good translation or referencing the original languages if they're capable. But sometimes even that can be deceiving the way these, these guys do it. But generally what the idea is, that then the narrative gives you a doctrine that is nowhere taught in Scripture clearly. They, they. In fact, you can't go to any passage that says any of the things that they're saying, but oftentimes then what it involves is you writing a check to them as the solution to your problem. In other words, God is up in heaven, and see, the narrative kind of goes along, it, this is kind of the crude version of it, by the way, God is up in heaven, and he really wants to help you, I mean... God is he's so loving. He truly really 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 wants to help you, but you see he can't. And the reason why he can't, well, well because you just don't have any faith. And see see the, the God can't do anything unless you take steps to demonstrate to him so that he can clearly see by your actions that you truly, truly have faith that he can help you in your situation. See, cause what God wants to do is he wants to multiply your money. He wants to heal you of all of your diseases and things like that. And he wants to make all of your relationships just the best thing ever. And, you know, he really wants you to get that, that promotion at work and stuff like that. But see, again, He really can't help you. No, he can't until he's convinced that you've passed the test. The test to prove to him that you're very serious about... Trusting him and believe him for like the biggest, amazing, most miracles possible. And what is usually the test that will prove to God that you really have that faith necessary for him to, well, improve your situation, multiply your finances, heal you of that terrible disease and clear all the problems up at work and in your, in your family life? Well, it's real simple. All you got to do is write a check. That's right. See, and, and here's how it goes is that uh, writing a check is that's sowing a seed. You see, see, when the Bible talks about seeds, it's not talking about seeds. It's talking about money. So you sow a seed. You write a check. And then based upon how much faith is needed for you to write the amount in the the amount box on that check, then God will go, oh, look, that person truly does have faith, and I'm going to bless them. Because what you're doing is you're buying a miracle from God. Sounds crass, doesn't it? Well, wait till you hear Rod Parsley explain it to you. Here we
3: go. His purpose. I am really, really excited that you made the decision to join me today on your breakthrough. Here's why. Because God... On your breakthrough. That's the name of this program. On your breakthrough. Has sent me on a mission today to help you move from surviving faith To thriving faith.
1: No way. God sent you? Well, of course, you get those God nuggets that you send out on Twitter several times a day. So God sent Rod Parsley so that you can move from having surviving faith to thriving faith. Oh,
3: thank you, God, for sending Rod Parsley to us. Oh, what will we do without him? An absolute, overwhelming, total. Victory. I know like the children of Israel said to Moses, it seems like a mocking dream, but you just stay with me. I believe God has given me a right now, an on-time word just for you. No way. God's given you an on-time word. It's one of those nuggets in your heart, right? That, that's about to fill you. I believe that for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. With mountain moving faith the mountain moving faith yeah that's what i need god kind of faith yeah as you begin to realize that god has already past tense now empowered you to thrive in every situation you're facing right now uh, we have a long long way to go on now
1: here's the, 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 by the way this is how this works okay as bono said in that uh, bullet the blue sky from the uh, Rattle and Hum album, these are people who prey on the sick and the old, right? This is the idea. Each and every one of us, if you've lived on this planet long enough, you have gone through tough times. You have suffered. You have gone through times when you're not sure where your next meal is going to come from, how you're going to pay your bills. Or worse, you've received a diagnosis from the doctor that tells you that things are not good at all. And so there's always a new crop of people who are experiencing severe Suffering in their life, and all of that suffering, by the way, is a result and a consequence of our collective and individual sinful rebellion against God. The wages of sin is death, by the way, and what's really interesting about this life is that the payment doesn't come all at once. There's little deposits made along the way and then one big balloon payment at the end. This guy comes along, and he's basically offering a solution to circumvent the suffering that you're going through as a result of your sin. He's not bringing you to repentance of your sins and faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. No, 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 no. That's not what he's all about. What he wants to do is sell you magic beans, literally seeds, in order to basically have you buy
3: God off and gets you out of your suffering and all you have to do is write a check. Today's breakthrough, and we don't have a whole lot of time to get there. So let's not wait not another minute. Let's break open the seals on God's word, whether you're doing it on your iPhone or in the Bible you hold in your hand. Your journey from faith to faith begins over in Psalm chapter 35 and verse 27. So he's broken the seals open off of this timely word of God,
1: Psalm chapter 35 Verse seven. So again, here's how it works. This. Let me just tell you how this works. You tell a story, and you hang little verses on the story to create the impression that it's a biblical uh, biblical doctrine. But here's the problem. Nowhere can you go in scripture to find the the doctrine as taught in the narrative. Instead, it's always hopscotching around the Bible, ripping verses out of context. Right Now, the, the illustration I use from time to time here at Fighting for the Faith is this, is that this technique leads to absurdity, and you can tell because if you were to just randomly pick passages out of context, you can make the Bible say anything. Judas went and hung himself. Therefore, go thou and do likewise. Those are two verses from the Bible, ripped out of context and stuck together, that would basically say that God wants you to do yourself in, but he doesn't. That's not what the Bible teaches. And the only way you can make the Bible say that is by ripping verses out of context and sticking them together this way. So we're beginning at Psalm 35. Verse 27, watch what he does. Now,
3: this powerfully, powerfully profound verse tells us emphatically that God, here it is, takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants.
1: No way. The, uh, Psalm 35, verse 27 teaches that God takes pleasure. In the prosperity of his servants? Who knew? I had no idea. By the way, that's not what that psalm says. If you have your Bible, go to Psalm, uh, let me make sure, 35, verse 27. Psalm 35, verse 27. I'm going to read it to you from the English Standard Version, first out of context. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad, and say evermore, God is great who delights in the welfare of his servant, okay? Now, I'm, I'm not adding context at this point to kind of make a bigger point, and that is already we've got a problem, because, you know, the Bible wasn't written and revealed in English, okay? The Old Testament, most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament is written in Koine Greek, and there's also a, a section, I think, of the book of Daniel that's originally revealed it's written in Aramaic. Okay, so you you know if 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 you want to study the Bible in its entirety in the original languages, it requires you to do so in Hebrew, Greek, and in some portions of it, Aramaic. Okay, so the question is, what is this? What does this verse say in the Hebrew? What does this say in the Hebrew? Now, his the translation he's reading says, "God takes pleasure in the prosperity." of his servants. In the ESV, I've pointed out the fact that it says A great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servants. Okay? Well, the the word there that is translated in the translation he's using, the word pr- that is used for prosperity is the word that's used in ESV for welfare, and it's simply the Greek, uh, not Greek, the Hebrew word shalom. That's what it is. Shalom. God who delights in the shalom of his servants. Now, shalom means peace, welfare. You know, it's, it, it, that's the idea. So, It's not saying that God delights in the prosperity of his servants, even though the King James says so. The the Hebrew there is shalom, and it's not saying in context that God wants you to be wealthy. That's not what the text says. Now, our three primary rules, by the way, for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, and context. So, Let's put this verse back in context and see what's going on here because he's basically making a whole hoop-to-do about the fact that God wants you to be prosperous. Okay, Uh, Psalm 35, verse 19. So what we'll do is we'll add some verses before and we'll add some verses after and we'll see what happens. "'Let those who rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let those who wink the eye who hate me without cause.'" For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land they devise words of deceit. Hmm. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent, O Lord. Be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself from my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha! our heart's desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise. All the day long. Hmm. Okay, you're going, what is that? What is going on there? Well, in order to know that, you have to go a little bit farther back in the Psalm. Number one, it's the Psalm of David. And here's how it begins Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of a shield and a buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and the javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am. Your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them, like chaff before the wind, and the angel of the Lord driving them away, let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Well, this sounds as a psalm of David along the lines of when David was being pursued, you know, to be killed by Saul, unjustly too. And so that's what's really going on here, and this is not a verse that means that God wants you to be prosperous in the sense he wants you to have health, he wants you to have wealth, and all of that kind of stuff. It's not saying that, and when we put it in context, it's very clear that is not what's being said here. But, well, let's see what Rod
3: does with it. Your prosperity has been God's plan since the very beginning. No way. All the way back in the book of Genesis, chapter one, verse twenty-nine.
1: Now, okay, now go. This is the fun part here. Go to Genesis chapter one. Go to Genesis chapter one. He's going to take verse twenty-nine out of context. Now we're so we got Psalm thirty-five twenty-seven and Genesis one twenty-nine. We're just hopscotching all over the Bible here, picking up a verse here, picking up a verse there to weave together this doctrine that is nowhere taught in scripture.
3: God announced to Adam, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you. It shall be from me. In other words, here's what God said. Adam I'm giving you the seed to create your financial future. The seed you have in your hand at this very moment can breathe resurrection life into your dreams. Dreams that you thought were long ago dead. Um, That doesn't make any sense.
1: Um, Why would Adam in Genesis chapter 1 have dreams that he thought were long ago dead? That doesn't make any sense. Let's look at the context. It was Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we're picking up at the very end of the first telling of the creation story in the book of Genesis. It's told from a 10,000-foot level the first time and then goes back through a second time, telling the same story with more detail, focusing on different aspects of it. But Genesis chapter 1, Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Food and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Okay, now I'm gonna back this up. Okay, I just read it to you in context. It's pretty clear what's going on on the day that God created Adam and Eve. He also announced, Oh, by the way here's your food, it's the fruit and the plants and the vegetables and the things like that, right? Um, That's what that means. It means that God gave them plants to eat. That was their food. It doesn't mean anything else. It means that God gave them plants to eat. But again, listen to Rod Parsley here because what he's saying doesn't make any sense at all because if what he's saying is true... Then apparently on the first day that Adam and Eve were created, I mean, as soon as God created them, they were, well, Adam was created with, with dreams that
3: he thought long ago were dead. See if this makes any sense. Here we go. A tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you. It shall be from me. In other words, here's what God said. Adam. I'm giving you the seed to create your financial future. Uh Uh-huh. Before there was even money. Mm Mm-hmm. Weird. The seed you have in your hand at this very moment can breathe resurrection life into your dreams. Uh, Why would he need resurrection life into his dreams? Dreams that you thought were long
1: ago dead. Why would Adam think that his dreams were long ago dead... At this point in the Bible, when that's the very same day that God created Adam, that doesn't make any sense. So Adam apparently was born with dead dreams that he thought that long, they were dead long ago. That's absurdity. It's absolute absurdity. But see, he doesn't care what the Bible really says. Again, the important thing is the narrative that he's saying, because his goal is to get the people who are watching this television program to write him a check, to
3: demonstrate their faith to God. Now, here's how the Message Bible describes your journey from faith to faith.
1: Uh, Really? So the Message Bible describes my journey from faith to faith? In
3: Psalm 66.
1: 12. I had no idea that Psalm 66 was about my faith journey. Let's take a look at Psalm 66 from, well, a good translation. He's, he's going to pick it up at verse 12. Let's add a little context here. So before he speaks, let's see what this this really about. Using the English Standard Version, which is a fine translation. Psalm 66, verse 1. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. This is a, basically a reference to both the Red Sea parting and the Jordan River parting. Where did we rejoice in? There we did rejoice in Him who rules by His might forever. Though whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us, and you have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net, you laid a crushing burden on our backs, you let men ride over our heads, we went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips utter and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with smoke and of sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened— He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Okay, I don't see anything there that's talking about my faith journey, but let's see what Parsley does with this. From the message paraphrase, by the way, which no one should be preaching from.
3: He trained us first, passed us like silver through the refining fires, brought us into hard, scrabble country, pushed us to our very limit, road-tested us inside and out, took us to hell and back, and finally God brought us to this well-watered place Whereas the King James Version says, into this wealthy place. This this is where God intends for you to dwell. He he intends for you to dwell in, in wealth and prosperity. You're about to learn how to get there today. No way! So how do I get to wealth and prosperity? Please tell me. On your breakthrough. First, the battle of faith is won or lost, I've told you over and over again in the arena of expectation.
1: Hmm, where's that town in the Bible? The battle of faith is won or lost in the arena of expectation. Hmm.
3: I don't remember that in the Bible. You're expecting right now. What are you thinking about right now? What are you focusing on right now? Your
1: Bible twisting and rank heresy. That's being done with the, with really the goal of fleecing these people and taking their money from them, all in the name of God. This is
3: what we call blasphemy. That's what I'm thinking about right now. What are you thinking about? Because expectancy is the breeding ground of your miracle. And no,
1: really, and huh? Wow, expectancy is the breeding ground of my miracle. And again, where is this taught in the scripture? None of those verses that you ripped out of context say anything like that. In fact, I can't find a single passage in the Bible that says this in
3: context and this clearly. In other words, what you're expecting, you're receiving. Over the years, God has revealed to me. Oh, that's how it's over the years. God's revealed this to him.
1: Oh, We're not going to find it in the Bible, but this is a teaching you receive directly from God.
3: Right. Or vital truths that make having an attitude of expectancy absolutely crucial to your future. That's
1: right. This is the prophet Rod Parsley. These are the four vital truths. You won't find them in the Bible, but only on his Twitter feed as he gets them from God as little God nuggets.
3: Living in God's blessing. Number one. What you're expecting will either limit or magnify your faith. Then I'm expecting God to
1: judge you. How's that? For your false doctrine, Bible twisting and blasphemy. That's a
3: pretty big expectation, don't you think? Let let me say it again. What you are expecting right now, what you're meditating on, what you're thinking about, the thoughts that are running through your mind right now, Are either thoughts of expectancy of blessing or cursing, help or want. What you're expecting right now will either limit your faith or expand your faith.
1: Well, I expect God to judge you severely for this blasphemy that you're teaching in his name. That's what I expect. And I have some pretty good biblical passages that that reveal this. Yeah, I didn't get this via a God nugget deposited in my heart. I found this in the Bible.
3: Number two, expectation. Well, that's the reason God multiplies your seed.
1: Oh, I see. So the reason why God multiplies my seed is because of my expectation. Again, nowhere taught in the Bible, but of course he received this via direct revelation from God himself while you know it, while looking inside of his heart for
3: God nuggets to be deposited there. Seed is what God multiplies, but expectation well, that's the reason he multiplies it.
1: yeah, it sounds like Stephen Furtick's teaching on audacious faith, very similar.
3: If there's no seed, there can be no multiplication, and if there's no expectation. There will not be a harvest. Now, there are two more reasons why expectancy is so critical to your breakthrough.
1: Oh, please explain.
3: Share them with you in just a minute. You don't want to miss them. They're about to change your life.
1: Yeah, and make me poorer for sure. Yeah, If I were to listen to you, I'd have less money in my uh, bank account and more trouble. First, I want to challenge you to make the decision right. Cue the sappy music. The sappy music is used for emotional
3: manipulation, right? by the way. Now, to change your focus, put your faith into action by sowing a wealthy place seed.
1: Yeah, you got to sow a wealthy place seed. See, you got to put your faith into action and sow a wealthy place seed. You're going, what is he talking about? The answer, he's talking about money. You know, he's not talking about you going out to your local, you know, garden store or, you know, and picking up, you know, seeds for like pumpkins or watermelons or tulips or things like that. No, 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 no. This isn't seed like in seed. This is seed like in moolah.
3: It's an expression of your faith. Focus on your harvest. You need it. Yeah, you need your harvest. Don't focus on your seed. No, don't focus on the money you're about to. No, 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 you don't need that. You don't need that. Yeah. You're on your way to a harvest. Right, you got to focus on your harvest. Plant that seed. That means money. I always say it this way. You don't, I don't need this. I'm on my way to that. My focus is not on this seed. My focus is. Yeah, your focus
1: is on the seeds that they're sending you because that's how you make your money.
3: The harvest that's inside this seed. Your Bible declares, For we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Look with the eyes of faith. See your harvest. Expect big things. And take action. Fear paralyzes you, but faith has movement. Faith says... I'm going to reject what's in my hand that I might receive and exchange what's in my hand for what I know is the harvest in God's hand.
1: Yeah, see, did you catch that? I'm going to reject what's in my hand so that I can expect and receive a harvest from God's hand. This is what we call a transaction. You are attempting to buy a miracle from God. And the Bible says, basically says that you and your money will perish for such a wicked and evil thing that you could think that you can buy miracles
3: from God. So let me encourage you right now, right now, take a step of faith toward God, toward that wealthy place of the supply of God by sowing a supernatural seed. Do it right now. So what's a supernatural seed? Can you explain that to us, Rod? Not just any seed.
1: No, no, no! Not just any seed. It's got to be a supernatural seed, but a wealthy place seed. Yeah, a wealthy. You you want to you want a wealthy place seed planted, don't you? Because you want to
3: you want to harvest a wealthy place. I, I don't know how much that would be to you. For everyone, it's different. Let me suggest to you that perhaps for you it's fifty dollars. Uh huh. So maybe for you, it's $50. Perhaps for someone, it's a $100 seed. $100 seed, that's a bigger seed. Perhaps for someone else, it's even more.
1: Yeah, like 1000 or 5000 or $10,000. See, God is watching. He wants to give you a wealthy place, but you can't have that because that's the harvest. you got to plant the seed first, and the seed is
3: money. What I do know is that the seed... That God speaks to you to sow will stretch your faith. It will place a demand on your faith. But hear me, God never speaks to you about a seed that he doesn't already have the harvest of that seed prepared and ready to be released in your life. Yeah,
1: Has your mom ever told you that money doesn't grow on trees? Yeah, there's a reason for her to say such a thing, because you can't plant money as if it's a seed and let a tree come up that you would reap a harvest of money. You see, this is absolute, well, mythology. This is a story. This is selling magic beans or seeds. And nowhere does the Bible teach us to do this. And why on earth would God want me... To write a check to Rod Parsley to prove to him that I have faith in him, that doesn't make any sense at all. And yet Stephen Furtick says this guy's a preaching machine. Yeah, and he, he was happy to, you know, send out a photograph the two of them basically encouraging each other. Uh huh. Yeah, it's pretty clear. That's flat out rank blasphemous heresy that preys on. The weakest and most suffer The people who are suffering the most among us. And, oh, man, I gotta tell you. The hottest regions, and I mean that. The hottest regions of hell are reserved for blasphemers like Rod Parsley. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Sermon review on the other side of the break. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
2: Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death.
2: From the creators who brought you Bible Pants and Vision Lacks comes the brand new super special awesome comedy album of the 21st century! Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater of the Budgie Cuts! Part 2. We here at Pyro Christian Studios have been hard at work crafting this album for maximum quality and hilarity. You'll cry. You'll laugh. You'll scream. And you'll have uncontrollable flatulence. Stick to the script, please. So sorry. Um. Buy it now while stocks last. They
3: download it. There is no supply of which to run out.
2: Oh, so you mean they can just go right onto iTunes and download it? Yes. Like right now. If they want to. Yes. Oh, well the heck with this commercial. I'm off to buy it right now. Get back here. We're not done yet. Max Holidays, Birdcage, and the Budget Cuts Part Two, disapproved of by heretics everywhere. Get it before they do.
1: Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, Sermon Review Time. First time we've been well well this will be the first time we've reviewed a sermon from this church. Probably not the last. I'll explain here in a minute. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via passion church minneapolis minnesota um jonathan brozozog i think that's how you pronounce it presiding the name of the sermon is entitled the prodigy in me yeah um can't make this stuff up anymore. By the way, the slogan for the um, for Passion Church is making God famous. I mean, aren't you glad that God has somebody like them to help make him famous? So they won't be talking about how we're born dead in trespasses and sins, or as Jesus says, that out of the heart comes all kinds of wickedness, you know, murder, theft, adultery, things like that come out of the heart. Instead, apparently, hiding within sight of you is a prodigy just waiting to get out. And I know where he got this from, by the way. The first person to preach a sermon series with this title, Stephen Furtick. So I think a good way to describe it is, is that Furtick's false teaching is apparently metastasizing in other parts of the visible church. Yeah, I think that will be what you come to the conclusion as of as well after hearing this sermon. So let me kill the music, and without any further ado, here is Jonathan Brozozog and his sermon entitled, The Prodigy in Me. Here we go.
5: Amen. So we're going to kick off our series, The Prodigy. You guys excited about that? So uh, cool, if you have your Bibles, I want you to get them open and go with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And um, those of you that have a smartphone, we have a, I don't know if you know it, but we have our very own iPhone app uh, and our, an app for Droid and for your iPad. So you can log on and it's a free app and get all of the sermons are made available to you. And um, man, if you missed last week, I definitely want to encourage you to go and get that. We got rid of the excuses last week, right? So uh, how many people are already practicing that? Getting rid of the excuses. So proud of you. I'm proud of you. And you guys are making a good decision starting the year off in the house of God, starting the year off, uh, putting God uh, in every area of your life. Did you guys enjoy our series we did on Don't Put Jesus First this year? Wasn't that really cool? And uh, the premise of that was to put Christ in the middle, put him in every area of our life. And uh, it was a really, really great series. You can get that on the uh, uh, app as well. So I want you to go with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm just going to read two verses to you.
1: And uh, the whole premise, really, you're going to read two verses, and this constitutes a biblical sermon? I don't think so.
5: ...of this series is based on the fact that I believe that there's a prodigy in every person. How many people are just enamored by prodigies, people...
1: Uh, Even if you don't really care what... So he believes there's a prodigy inside of every person. Wow. Wow. So that's what we need to preach about on Sunday morning because that's what he believes. Hmm. I don't recall any verses in the Bible that say that inside of every person is a prodigy. I can't recall a single passage that says that. So why would a Christian pastor preach something that doesn't exist in the Bible, but only appears apparently inside of what he believes and what he thinks. So we're not getting a biblical sermon, we're getting his opinion. Who knew that that was what a pastor is supposed to be preaching on a Sunday morning is his opinion? When did his opinion rise to the level of sound biblical doctrine that should be preached from a pulpit in a Christian church on a Sunday?
5: what they do. I just always love to see somebody excel at whatever it was. Uh, You know, I love the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs and the Michael Jordans and, you know, all these people who just excelled at whatever it was, Uh, whether it's in just a a company that that you do or maybe everybody doesn't know your name, but you're just a prodigy at it. You just excel at that area. And I believe that God has a prodigy in every person and he wants to... Use that to make
1: him famous, not just you famous. Yeah. So God has a prodigy inside of everybody, and he just doesn't want to, he doesn't want to just make you famous, but he wants you to use your prodigy inside of you to make him famous. I mean, it sounds so pious, doesn't it? It sounds almost Christian. But here's the deal unless this is taught in scripture, this is nothing more than the delusions and ideas of this man's mind. This is not. Christian doctrine this is not found in God's word therefore it is not to be taught in the church because what's to be taught in the church are only the words of God and you only find those in the written word of God in context
5: our, our slogan for our church is making God famous and uh, I'm bent on telling everybody I know about Jesus Christ is anybody with me on that
1: And um, no you're not if that were the case, then you would be opening up the Bible to one of the gospel passages and preaching it in context. You say you want you want everybody to know about Jesus. I firmly disagree with you. Your preaching proves that you're not interested in making Jesus famous or God famous at all because you're not preaching his word soundly and in context.
5: Today, I want you to open up your heart and open up your mind and consider the possibility that God has put something down on the inside of you that he wants to use to spread the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: If you're going to spread the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to actually preach it. I mean, is this like Rod Parsley and in his in his God nuggets that are placed in his heart every day? Are you going to tweet these out and to change hearts and
5: to change lives? Just before we read this, I'll say I got a sense when... Um, I was a very young person, still young, I guess, thirty.
1: Notice the sappy music still playing in the background. That's to uh, manipulate emotions and create the impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is still somehow moving there.
5: Three, but I was just a teenager that my whole life was building towards helping people. I always had a sense that I wanted to be a shepherd, be a pastor. It started off very young in my life at 16 when I came home from a missions trip, and I felt... The calling of God on my life. And I just want to encourage you to don't count out the dreams of young people. Just because no one in your family or your family history or lineage has ever done anything like that doesn't mean that God's not raising them up to do that. And maybe no one in your family has ever been used by God in such an awesome way in any area or whatever capacity that is. Don't think that God doesn't want to use your children or young people. I'm talking to teenagers here. Come on. Uh, that God doesn't want to use you and raise you up to do something great for the glory of God. My dad was um, one out of nine. His father left them when he was like five years old. Uh, My grandfather owned a brothel called the Silver Slipper in the Bahamas. And we don't know what happened to him. I never met him in my life, but my dad grew up without a father and grew up lost. And he radically had had an encounter with God and gave his heart and life to jesus christ and now he's a minister of the gospel and has been for over 35 years and um won um his family for jesus christ One, his mother my grandmother died a minister in the gospel because god you the bible says that god will save one person or saves a solitary in a home and uses that one person to bring that entire family for jesus christ so you may be the only one in your family who knows god realize that god's placed you there for a purpose and a reason and no one in my family had ever had anything like that, ever done anything like that. And just because that had never happened doesn't mean that God won't anoint my father. Come on. And and now leave a change, a legacy
1: from drunks and alcoholics. Come on. Is anybody with me on that? You see, when the pastor does that and says, come on, and things like that, is anyone with me? He, he needs you to uh, give him applause. You know, so it's like giving, you know, cookies to a, you know, little biscuits to an a, a trained animal. I mean, they work for, you know, they work for the applause and treats and stuff like that. So the applause is the treat that these types of pastors get from the audience to spur them on to continue preaching powerfully.
5: From, from people who, you know, left and abandoned families to a legacy. And now my parents have been married over 40 years and... I just thank God for that. How many people just thank God for that? That's just a great miracle and blessing. And Just because that's where you came from doesn't mean that that has to be the story for your life. And God, has, God wants to use you to do great things in the kingdom and speak that into your children. Speak that into them. And so I'm going to use Nehemiah here as our character today because he was a prophecy in the Bible who God used to carry out one of the most impressive building projects of all times. He was a general contractor responsible for building the walls around Jerusalem or back again around Jerusalem, and it should have taken him years to rebuild this, but the Bible says he did it in a supernatural time frame. So let's read this. Nehemiah chapter 6, we'll read this and then pray, verse 15 and 16. So the wall was completed on the, it's chapter 6, chapter six, fifteen and 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul and in, the, in, the, in 52 days when all the enemies heard about this. Pay attention. When all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done
1: with the help of God. Chapter 6, we're just going to get verses 15 and 16. You're not going to tell the story of how the children of Israel rebelled against God and went into idolatry how God punished them by sending them into exile into Babylon, and only a remnant of them remained, how God had to intervene on their behalf in order for them to survive that experience, and now how God had fulfilled his promise that he had given through the prophet Jeremiah that he would release them from their captivity to Babylon after 70 years there, and this is them coming back, and you're going to leave all of the details of this story out, of God's punishment for their idolatry and sin, and just zero in on verse 15 and 16. This does not constitute a lucid Bible story at all. This is ripping verses out of context in order for you to create the pretext that this is a biblical teaching so that you can teach what you want to teach, not what God has revealed. This is flat-out blasphemy.
5: Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your son. I thank you for your word. I thank you that the grass withers and the roads fades away, but your word stands forever. Help us to find a hiding place in the counsel of your word today. Anoint me to feed the flock of God. What an awesome responsibility. And I dare not try it without you. Use me for your glory. I pray that everyone would be in the posture of learning to receive your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Let's start our talk off with a big God bless you today. Come on. Amen. So this book, Nehemiah, was written by Nehemiah and um, Ezra around 430, 420 B.C. And uh, what should have taken them 52 days or even years to build, they did it. Um, 52 weeks or years to build, they did it in 52 days, a tenth of the time, a tithe of the time. And all the people were amazed and actually lost their self-confidence. All of the enemies that that Jerusalem had because of how quickly they built this wall and they said there's no way that they could have done that just in their own natural strength it had to be the help and the work of their god see when god takes your natural and he adds his super to it you're able to do supernatural things for the king
1: Come- oh, really when god takes your natural and adds his super to it uh, unbelievable Come on, somebody say amen
5: about that. It may just be a rag and a rock, but if God gets behind it, you can kill giants in your life. Am I right? A man and his gift. The Bible says a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. All David had was a rag and a rock, but he knew how to work his gift. Where they made the mistake was when they let that little boy go running across the field. He lit that giant up because he knew how to work his gift. Come on, am I right about that? You got to have something that's down inside of you that you do it so well that if they ever mess up and let you do it, it's over.
1: If they ever give you the. This text doesn't say that at all. This is not what the, the purpose of this text is. Microphone, it's over. If they ever
5: give you a leadership position in your job, it's over. If somebody calls in sick one day and they need you to fill in, it's over. You ought ought to have something so great, you're gifting so well and so complete and so fluid in motion that if they let you do it, it's over. The Bible says a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. What is your gift? See, talent makes you look good, but gifts make God look good. And God is intent on all the gifts and talents that he gave you are for his glory, not for your glory. Somebody say amen about that. And, and, and that is my prayer for our church. That And I want you to hear this, that our families, that our kids, that our marriages, that our relationships, that I want God to do something so great through Passion Church and here at Maple Grove and in this city and in Brooklyn Park. I want God to do something so great in these cities that that the city and government and people uh, around the city and leaders look at our church and say there is no way that they would be able to accomplish what they accomplished in such a short period of time unless it had been God. Unless God was with it. Come on. The Bible says unless the Lord built the house, those that labor build in vain. Am I right about that? It is God who is building his house. And God says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God knows how to build his church. Somebody say amen. And I just want our church, I want us to do something great for God. I want us to, we have one opportunity in this life. We passed this way once. Am I right about that? We passed this way once. And I want us to leave a dent in this world that is so great that people will talk about us when we're gone. I want to
1: impact the world for Jesus Christ. I want us to leave a mark on this planet for what? If he wanted to impact the world for Jesus Christ, then he would preach the word correctly he would actually tell us about jesus and what jesus has done and how jesus left a dent on the universe and telling instead of telling everybody they need to leave a dent this is not why nehemiah 6 was written what we did for the
5: gospel of jesus christ is anybody with me shout amen today i want us to grow how many people want your church to grow that was weak how many people want your church to grow church is more fun with more people Whatever we do, it's just more fun if there's more of us. I promise you, church is more fun with more people. It's no fun when you're by yourself. I was like, I grew up, and I grew up with two sisters, and none of them want to play sports with me. So I would go out, and, you know, and I believe, you know, I was like, I'm Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. And I would go out, and I'm like throwing footballs to myself and running and trying to catch on the other end, scoring touch. It's no fun when you're by yourself. Anybody with me on that? You know, it's more fun with more people. And I don't want us to do something so great as a church. I want marriages to be so amazing in this church that people go, man, that just has to be a God thing in that area. I want young people to stand up for righteousness and stand up for holiness and say, you know, what? I'm not getting into a dating relationship until I'm ready for marriage. I know that that's popular. I know it's the end thing to do. But I love God more than I love you. And God didn't send you. God would never send you to me to take me away from him. If anyone's come in your life that's caused you to walk away from God, God didn't send them because God would never send someone to you to take you away from him. God's not like some crazy girlfriend who gets her
1: girlfriend to go over and tempt you to see if you really love Well, if that's true, um, let's just say that it is, then God would never have sent you as a pastor because you're not pointing them to God, that the God who's revealed in Scripture and pointing them and teaching his word. You're pointing them to your ideas. These are This is just a litany of all of the things that you think. But when did your ideas, your thoughts, your dreams, your aspirations somehow rise to the level of the scripture that should be taught on a Sunday morning in church? Love him. He's not interested in setting you up just to see if you can get out. He values the
5: relationship too much. Am I helping anybody here today? I want us to do something great for God. And so I have a couple of things here that I just want to talk to you about a couple of points. I want you to write these down. Keep your Bible open. But um, if I had to subtitle it, I would call it prodigy prerequisites. And a prodigy, obviously, is somebody who does something great, and a prerequisite is something you do before you, you do something else. I remember when I was in college and they said, well, you have to take this class, and the reward for taking this class is that you get to take another class. And I was like, well, that's stupid. That makes... But that's what it was. <laughs> Anybody even in college can say you're amen about that. So I want to give you just a couple of points that I believe, or a couple of questions, rather, that you need to ask yourself. In order for you to accomplish what God really wants to accomplish in your life. So, the very first one is Will you make your misery, I'm sorry, will you embrace your misery and make it your ministry? Will you embrace your misery and make it your ministry? Will you embrace your misery and make it your ministry? The two go hand in hand together. I've been in full-time ministry now for over 10 years.
1: Yeah, I, Again, do you have a biblical passage that says any of this? You've read to us two verses from the middle of Nehemiah out of context. The, these texts don't say this.
5: Years, and, man, there's a lot of misery that goes on with ministry. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, Where there is no oxen, the manger is clean. Basically, if you're not picking up crap, you're not doing anything great for God. It doesn't say that exactly. It's got kind of a different translation, but just chill out. It's cool. You know, because people are dirty. God made man out of dirt. You keep looking for some of the material, you're not going to find it. The person that sits beside you is a dirt bag. Look at him. He's a dirt bag. Some of y'all never go to church anymore because that pastor called me a dirt bag. But bathes, brushes, sprays, deodorizes, and everything, but the person that beside you is a dirt bag. Your old husband was a dirt bag. The one you're sitting at now looks so cute. He's a dirt bag. He's just a controlled dirt bag. And little by little, you begin to see little things, and she begins to see little things. The reality is you're two dirt bags shaking up together. But the good news is that God works with dirt. God works with dirt. And the dirt doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be hungry. Because the Bible says, He that hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. And that goes all the way back to Adam, where God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. He formed him and then he filled him. He formed him and then he filled him. Adam had come so far away from the dirt that he no longer fit in with the dirt he came from. But he had not come all the way over to allow God to do something complete in his life until he had a mouth-to-mouth experience with God. You resuscitate. You resuscitate something that's lost its wind. You resuscitate. Adam had a mouth-to-mouth experience with God. The Hebrew word is zoa. It means to breathe into him. He breathed in him all, all of his future and his destiny. It came from mouth-to-mouth experience with God. He- Zoah is a Greek word, not a Hebrew word. He breathed in him Cain, Abel, and Seth, and Ephraim, and Jacob, and Manasseh. And until you let God get mouth-to-mouth with you and stop running from person
1: to person trying to get them to feel what only God can... This guy, this. guy, By the way, the Bible doesn't teach any of this. This guy is just raving. He's teaching the ravings of his mind. If he were really biblically teaching, he would have an open Bible and be teaching you things in context. Now he's just grabbing stories here and there and not even doing you the courtesy of trying to create the impression it's a biblical uh doctrine that he's teaching he just grabbed a word zoe which is greek not hebrew and and saying now that you have to have a mouth-to-mouth uh you know meeting with god whatever that means phil you will never be complete in your life god i'm teaching somebody today no you're not you're not teaching anybody anything that has any value these are empty words this is not the word of god that you're teaching came from a mouth-to-mouth mouth
5: experience with God. And a lot of us, we've come far enough away from the dirt that we no longer fit in with the dirt we came from, but we have not come all the way over to allow God to breathe into us the breath of life so that we became a living soul or a living message.
1: What are you even talking about? N- another person taking the Genesis story out of context. I hope I'm helping someone. You are not. Trust me, you're really doing a lot of damage to anybody who thinks that you're teaching God's word.
5: Now, you gotta understand something here. I'm gonna read another verse to you, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. If you wanna turn back just a couple of pages, we're gonna work our way backwards. But Nehemiah was a Jew living in the Babylonian Empire, and um,
1: they had taken God's people captive some 70 years before uh, this. But the. This guy sounds like, like either Bill or Ted from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I mean, seriously. Persians
5: took over as the world's superpower and kicked the Babylonians out and made a rule that the Jews could go back to their homeland. But when they got back there, they found the city burnt to the ground. And let's read that here. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And they said unto me, Those who survived the exile and are back in province are in a great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem were broken down, and its gates have burned with fire. When I heard, they, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. So this wasn't just like he just had a little tear. It wasn't like he just had a mood swing or a hot flash. This guy wept. You following me? He wept for some days and mourned and fasted. Somebody say fasting. We started our 21 day Daniel fast today. Anybody fasting with me? Say amen. So now you're going to talk about yourself. Got it. I want to encourage you to fast in order for you to finish what God has called you to do in your life. You're going to have to fast and pray.
1: Jesus Christ, in order to do what God called him to do, had to Notice fast. Notice this is all law, no gospel. You got it. 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 He's not teaching us what Christ has done for us. This is all basically man-made law, not even biblical law, telling you all the things you got to do and pray. So, if Jesus,
5: I know you're super spiritual and everything, but Jesus had to fast and pray. In order to finish the course of God's will for his life, you're probably going to have to fast and pray in order to finish the course of God's will for your life. Jesus said some things are only done through prayer and fasting.
1: And fasting is difficult because for most of us, our flesh is... Why don't you teach us what Jesus said in context so we can get a full look at what it is that Jesus was saying there? You say you want to make him famous and stuff, right? Why don't you really spend some time digging into his words in context?
5: ...in the driver's seat, and our spirit is in the passenger seat. You are a spirit. Anybody know that? Can say amen to that? You're created in the likeness and image of God. God is a spirit. You're a spirit. You have a soul, which is your memories, your functions, your personalities, all that kind of stuff. And then you live in a body. This is your address right now. This is where you live. So... Some of ours need more work than others, but that's besides the point. This is our address right now, but you have a soul. Your animals, anybody have pets? Any dog lovers, cat lovers, anybody in the, you got a pet? Raise your hand, say amen. Yeah, nod, wink, some. So y- y- your pets have souls. They don't have spirits, but they have souls. They have personalities and functions, but, but they don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but there's no doggy heaven or, or, or cat heaven. Kinda. I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings, but they have souls, but they have personalities, but they don't have spirits. They don't live forever because it'd be awkward. That's why we eat animals. Because it'd be awkward to go to heaven and see a cow you ate. And you're like, well, this is awkward. Because, you know, hi and everything, you know. So, you understand what I'm saying? So, so but, but, but they have souls, they have personalities. So, but, but we are a spirit, meaning we will live for eternity. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if you're not here, don't send me a text and say, well, I'm with you in spirit. No, you ain't. If you're here in spirit, you're gone. You're dead. You don't want to be out someplace in spirit. You understand what I'm saying? So the Bible says be absent with the bodies, be present with the Lord, whoever your Lord is.
1: Where did you graduate from seminary? I'm curious because um, it's pretty clear that you haven't got like the the foggiest notion how to rightly handle God's word. I mean, did you actually pass a basic hermeneutics class? I'm curious. Um, Have you ever studied the original languages? You clearly don't know what you're doing. So, so you,
5: you definitely are a spirit and you have a soul and you live in a body. And the, the reality is most of us, our flesh is in the driver's seat. And so the spirit's just along for the ride. And they say, well, can we go to Shut up. We ain't going to church. Shut up. Sleeping in a football game today. I don't hear what you have to say. And, you know, well, hey, I was wondering if we could read it. We got time to read the Bible. We got to get on Facebook and look and see what's going on. You know? and, and, and so the spirit's just long for the ride. I'll prove it to you. How many people have a phone and you have an app on your phone that says Facebook? Anybody raise your hand? Some of y'all still not telling the truth in church. We're praying for you. So, and then you have a Bible app. And, and, on, and on your phone, most of the time the Bible app is like, you know, it's just another button. And so people say, well, I just don't have time to go read my Bible. But we have time to press the Facebook app. And scroll through hours of posts just because we're nosy. We're just nosy.
1: But we don't have time to hit the other button. Am I, am I helping anybody here? Th- this is just reality. It's just our flesh. Is- no, you're not. You're not helping anybody at
5: all. It's in the driver's seat. And that's what fasting does. And fasting, I know some churches say, well, fast Facebook and fast TV. Let me tell you something. You need a fast food. Okay, And I'm not talking about eating fast food. I mean not eating food. Because food is the appetite that feeds all other appetites. Let me take food away from you. You tell me for three days, you tell me if you want to smoke or you want steak. You tell me which one you want. Let me take food from you, because food is the appetite that feeds all other appetites. Once you're full, now you want these other things, you see? But food is, and, and, and there were luxuries in Jesus' day. Jesus could have said, hey, I'm just going to walk. I'm not going to use my sandals today. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to use, you know, my, my feet got really bright in here for some reason. That's okay. It's the Holy Ghost. They're working on it. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, take the, the donkey today. I'm just going to walk, you know. There could have been, there's, there's all kinds of luxuries in life, but Jesus fasted food. Okay, because it kills your flesh. It crucifies your flesh. And he said here that he fasted and that he prayed uh, before God and before, and before heaven. So, and then if you read from five through the end of the chapter, you'll read one of the most beautiful prayers in all of scripture. And I encourage you to do that. Maybe later today or whatnot, just continue to read the rest of that chapter. It's an amazing prayer that he prayed. But the reality is we're going to have to fast and pray in order to finish the course of God's will for our life.
1: Amen. Which text are you preaching out of again? I'm curious where it says this in the Bible. Before he took action to build this wall, he felt pain.
5: Your misery is a good clue
1: of what God's called you to do for your ministry. Well, heretics make me miserable, um, so I guess that explains it. Pastor, what has God called me to do? What's your misery? False teaching, false gospels, people who have no business being pastors because they have not studied and shown themselves approved, as workmen who need not blush with embarrassment, who can rightly handle the word of truth. Obviously, you don't qualify. That's my misery. You know, maybe you
5: grew up without a father. And you just feel passionate about helping people who never had a dad and teaching them that God wants to be the spiritual father in your life. Teaching that God wants to be more than that in your life. He can love you more than your earthly father ever could. You know, maybe. I watch people all the time. Um, Travis, uh, you're going to see a video of him here in a little bit. And, and he's doing a, a weight loss challenge for anyone in the church. He's a, he's a, a um, trainer at Lifetime Fitness. And you can sign up for it out in the lobby after service. But, um, you know, he's just passionate. He's just like, man, I just hate to see all of God's people, all, a lot of these, all these people. And I just believe God's called them to do great things. And, they, and they're just overweight. And they can't do it. And they can't accomplish it. And, and so he became passionate. And he was just like, man, this is annoying to me. So I want to do something about it. And and his misery became his ministry. Am I helping anybody here today? Uh you know? No, not at all. Reese, one of one of the guys on our worship team, you know, had a had a skin condition where his skin uh just absolutely changed colors and 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 it was a total transformation in his life and he, and he had to walk through that and you know many people there's, there's all kinds of challenges that you could face in that with identity and whatnot, and and prayed and asked God to not let this happen but it happened and, and I sat down with him again telling man I just think honestly we prayed and asked God to do this but for whatever reason God's, God's not changing it back and maybe that misery is your ministry and God wants to take that condition and take you all over the world to minister to people who had that condition and to be a light and and, and and an impact, it gives you a platform to launch off of that I would never have. You went through this and you kept the faith and you kept the encouragement and God can use you to speak into the lives of millions of people. And so you have to make the decision, would I rather have this or would I rather have the ministry? I look at the guy who had no arms and no legs and we've played a video of him before and he has no arms and no legs. And God said, would you rather have arms and legs and be normal? Or would you rather me take your arms and legs and take you around the world to win millions of people for the kingdom of God? What would you rather have? What would you rather have? What would you rather have? People say, God, I want you to use me, but they don't want to, I don't want it to cost me anything. I don't want to have to sacrifice anything. How many people like miracles. Raise your hand if you like miracles. You like, it's awesome. We love miracles. We just don't want to need a miracle. Like, it's like you need the miracle.
1: How about you get cancer? Yeah. The folks there at passion church need a miracle, right? Cause it's going to take a miracle to get this guy to actually rightly teach God's words. Literally.
5: Answer, And then we'll pray for you and God heal you. Let's let you lose your job. And then we'll just, you know, pray and believe God to give you a job. I don't want to go through that. But God's teaching methods are incredible. Am I right about it? The word must be lived out. It's got to go from logos to rhema. Maybe, maybe your ministry is the orphans. Maybe your ministry is the couples. Maybe, maybe that's why we launched connection groups in our church. So that you could have a platform to do whatever ministry it was that you were passionate about. See, our church, uh, how many people, I'm a big Apple fan, how many people ha- like Apple, say amen, maybe you don't, but, but Apple only makes five products. They make five products, and from those five products, you can reach the world. Okay? And, and and even though it's a limited platform, it doesn't minimize the impact of that platform. You can do anything with it. And so our church, only we have a limited ministry platform. We do worship experiences on Sundays, and we do connection groups. And through those two ministries, those two platforms, all the ministry of the church takes place. So even though it's a limited ministry platform, it doesn't limit the impact of that ministry. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? So anybody can do anything. You can say, man, I want to do something for, for, for single guys. I want to do something for men's ministry. I want to do something for women ministry i want to do something for couples or singles or or whatever it is whatever is your ministry could could the reality is it could be your ministry i wish we had more teenagers who are more passionate about winning their fellow students for the for the cause of christ i remember when i I got serious and i gave my heart and life to jesus christ i had
1: a meet up with my friends and i said look you are aware that uh, the important thing is that jesus gave his life for you I, I think y'all are awesome And I think
5: y'all are cool But the reality is I can't do all the things That we used to do I just can't do it I've, I've changed Well you've changed Yes I have changed I've changed To say you haven't changed Is to say you haven't grown Is to say that you haven't matured And when you give your heart and life To Jesus Christ There should be a change And the people who know you now Can't believe who you used to be And the people who know who you used to be Can't believe who you are now And some of the things You used to brag about Now you're saying Now you're ashamed about And some of the things You say Lord help me to find it Now you're saying Lord help me not to do it Because there's been a real and legitimate change in your life if you get saved there's no change I question the authenticity of your experience
1: because there should be a real change mm, I'm challenging the authenticity of your so-called experience because if you truly were a regenerate uh, Christian pastor overseer of christ's sheep then you'd be preaching the word as Christ has commanded pastors to do but you're not you're just this is just one long litany of false doctrine and unfounded assertions that can't be substantiated from any biblical text. That's not how Christians behave. That's not what Christian pastors do. So maybe I should challenge the legitimacy and authenticity of your so-called experience
3: in your life.
5: There should, be a, there should be a real legitimate change in your life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. I'm different. I'm no longer the person I used to be. And I became passionate. My misery was that my friends didn't know God. And I, and I made that my ministry to win them for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they may know God. And I wish more of our students would, 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 would get, get a misery for that, get a burden for that. Or another word is a brokenness for that so that they would impact their schools and impact their community for Jesus Christ. And I wish more of our parents would get a burden burden for their, for their kids and for their teenagers and for the house of God and start serving in the house of God and say, it's not okay that these things are going on. It's not okay that, that we're having these issues and challenges and difficulties. I wish we get more of a burden for our marriages, for our relationships, for our children to see young people grow up in the house of God, to know God as the Lord and savior of their life. This is what it takes. So whatever you're challenged about, you look at church or something you didn't like here today. Hey, maybe that's your ministry. People come to me and say, hey, we need to do something for orphans. Great. Make that your ministry. Because a lot of us grew up in a church where we just drop 20 bucks an offering plate, and we just tell, we, we make suggestions. They had a little suggestion box. Anybody remember the suggestion box? And we make suggestions for ministries that should take place and let somebody else do that. That's not the church that Jesus Christ died for. The Bible says that the church builds and grows itself as each part does its own work. And that we're an Ephesians 4 church. That the five-fold ministry, you know, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, that the five-fold ministry are there to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. That we are not to do the work of the ministry for you, that we are there to prepare you to do the work of the ministry. That that's why I'm in your life. I'm in your life to prepare you for ministry. And some of you say, well, that's all great and everything, but I'm, I'm not called to be, uh, uh, you know, a pastor. Let me tell you something. Brother, sister, when you got saved and you made that verbal contract with God to give your life to him, if you'd read the fine print in the Word of God, it says that you made a commitment to full-time ministry. When you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you're called into the kingdom.
1: Okay, why don't you uh, show us that fine print from God's Word. I'd like to actually see you try to teach this from the biblical text.
5: You're called in the kingdom. And the Bible says, whatever you do, do it with all your might. Do it as doing it unto the Lord. Come on. Somebody say amen today and give the Lord a clap off and a praise if you believe what I'm saying. (laughs) Nehemiah was not a pastor. He was a construction worker.
1: He was not a prophet. The dude built walls. Uh, A construction worker. Hmm. You know, I bet you if I were to go into Nehemiah chapter 1, we might find some contrary data. But then again, we wouldn't want a biblical text to get it in the way of the move of the Spirit. Apparently, that's upon you at, right, at the moment. But uh, let's see here. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Shislev. In the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Uh, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of of this man. Now I was the cup bearer to the king. Whoops. Huh. Weird. Right there at the end of Nehemiah chapter 1, this great prayer of confessing sins and begging God for his mercy, it says that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. It doesn't say that he was a wall-building contractor for a living. But then again, we don't want the details of the biblical text to get in the way of Obviously, this man's anointing to preach this day. We continue. And he wrote a book in the Bible. Flipping awesome. Don't tell
5: me that God only uses pastors. Come on. Pastors are there to prepare God's people to do the work of the ministry. This is a construction worker who God used as a prodigy to do something so great to save a nation. God wants to use you. And it's going to cost you to be used for the kingdom of God. You know, for me, it was, I just always knew. I just said, man, I remember growing up as a young man with my Walkman. Anybody remember Walkmans? You know, I remember my Walkman. I I can can remember eight tracks. My dad had a a Plymouth with an eight track in it. Anybody remember eight tracks? You can't tell me nothing if you ain't ever listened to eight track. That's why the whole album had to be good. When the kids today, they just iPods, jump, jump, song, song, jump. You wouldn't. I want to fast forward or re- rewind. That's why the whole album had to be good. Because you want to hear a, a song, well, let's just ride around. Wait till it comes back around. That's how you hear it again. Just drive around. But I remember having a walkman. I remember going out and preaching, preaching to trees. I remember at 10 years old, out, out in the backyard preaching. And I remember saying, God, if you'll ever use me one day. I remember it just bursting me. God, I just want... My words to go out and and be like concrete and so that help people can build their their lives and build their marriages and build their relationships and build their children. yeah,
1: concrete's probably right. I mean, you know this is the kind of concrete that ends up taking people and plunging them into the depths of the sea and ultimately into hell, yeah, concrete is a good good metaphor there.
5: God, if you'll ever give me an opportunity, I'll use every breath, I'll use every minute for the glory of God. I, I, I remember that at a young age. and I'm telling you what, speak into the lives of your children, especially hear me dads, bless your children, speak into them what you want them to be. Speak into the life. Don't just speak what they are, speak what they want, what you want them to become. Faith calls those things that are not as though they were. You understand? Uh, what no, I'm? No,
1: no, that's what God does. The Bible doesn't say this, that Christians are to do this.
5: I'm saying to you, you so you got, they may be Problematic, but don't speak that over them. Speak them, speak unto them what you want them to be. This is the word of faith heresy, by the way. Hallelujah. Faith calls those things that are not as though they were. That's what some of y'all need. You need to get in, in the, you need to get up in the morning and, and take off your shirt and look in the mirror and say, I'm sexy. I'm just this. I'm that. I'm gonna be, I'm just fine. I'm gonna be all this stuff and, and, and speak to yourself. Come on, somebody say amen about that. You can't deny your present reality. You can't, if your head hurts, it hurts. All right, but you have to speak to what you want it to be. My head hurts, but I believe God's gonna heal me. I'm broke, but I believe God's my provision. He's gonna make a way
1: for me. I'm depressed today, but gosh, God's. Yet again, this is the word of faith heresy. This is not what the Bible teaches. Giving me joy, and, and, and and things are looking up. And you understand, you gotta speak to
5: your future reality. The only thing stronger than a thought is a word. Somebody else's style, your ministry style. Anytime somebody gets up and they just look frumpy and whatnot, you just look and just, oh, I can't even listen to what they're saying. Make that your ministry and help them get stylish and figure them out. (laughs) Okay, my second point is my last point. I'll get to today. But uh, point number two is will you exchange your comfort for your calling? Will you exchange your comfort for your calling? I remember when I walked away from my job. I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to walk away from a job making a lot of money and company car and everything. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to walk away um, from family. I'm not saying I have a great relationship with my family, but all my family's back in DC and I grew up with my family and we were, all my family's there and my wife's family's there. And we walked away from all of that and came to a place. I know what it's like to come out here and live in a basement in Bloomington and drive to Brooklyn park. And I didn't even know where Brooklyn park was. And and my pastor pulled a piece of paper out the fax machine and drew me a little roadmap to Brooklyn park. And I was coming up here trying to figure out where in the world Everything was and who was where and what was going on and, and and just lost half the time. And I know what that's like. I know what it's like to, to, to step out in faith. See, waters don't part until your feet get wet.
1: Waters don't part until your feet get wet. Uh-huh. Um, where does the Bible teach that, that that's what it has to be for us? I don't know what you're talking about. And,
5: and you've got to be willing to step out in faith. Faith calls those things that are not... As though they were. I know what that's like. And, and you're going to have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. A lot of us are very comfortable. Come on. Very comfortable. It's going to cost you because I want to be used by God, but I don't want it cost me anything. It's going to cost you, it's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your money. It's going to cost you your, your, your energy. It's going to cost you. You're going to get hurt doing it for the king. All these kind of things. You read it in Nehemiah. You can read through this. We don't have time to finish it all today. But you'll read through all the different challenges and difficulties. You had to walk away from people and, and let go of certain relationships so that God could bring new relationships into his life. It's going to cost you to be used for the kingdom of God. And you have to make a decision early on in life that I had to make this decision that the people have the authority to stop God's will for my life. Do they? Do people have the authority to stop God's will from my life? So if the answer is no, then I can't be worried about people. I, I need to be concerned about God. And if for some reason that this person is not allowing it or making it happen, then then God must mean it for my good. Oh God! See, we see today. We don't see down the road. Some people, you lose a job. And then you think, oh, God, it's over, the end of the world. And God meant for you to lose that job because if you'd have ever lost that job, you'd have never gotten this job. And this job ultimately led you to your destiny where you met this person and that person. You understand what I'm saying? But you don't, you don't know that today. It's kind of like Isabella. I have a, a, a one-year-old, this little girl, and, and she is just, she needs saved. If Jesus comes today, I'm concerned about it. But we're praying for her. But uh, so she, she's in the back seat, and so she's hungry. And so when she gets hungry, she just screams. I, and I mean screams like, I'm going to die. Because she doesn't know that, listen, we're 20 minutes from the house, and when we get to the house, mom's going to feed you, and there's food and all these kind of things. She doesn't know that. All I know is I'm hungry. As far as I know, I could die here. I'm going to die in this car. These people in the front seat, they don't, look at dad. He eats everything. He's not going to save anything from me. I'm going to die. I'm going to die right here, surrounded by my family. I'm, I'm going to die. And so she responds like that—tears and tantrum, kicking, screaming, snot running out the nose, gagging, because she thinks she's going to die. She doesn't know that we're on, everything's under on control. We're not going to let you die. And you got to tell her we're not going to let you die. It's okay. It's okay. We're not going you. you understand? And by the time they get to around five, seven, eight, they begin to believe you. Right. So we're like that with God. You know. Oh God, I'm going to die. You know, I lost my job, I'm going to die. And so we freak out. And God is saying, "Listen, I know you lost your job, but I'm going to do something in your life in March that's going to bless you for the next 20 marches." You understand? And you I know. I it's cool. It's calm. Shh, shh, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. See the same thing you going with your going through with your
1: children, God's going through with you. <laughs> you understand? He's, yeah, again, you're not teaching anything biblical. These are just all of your weird assertions. And you'll notice that the sappy music is now playing in the background. Apparently that's the, let you know that the Holy Spirit's moving through the audience. Just
5: calm down. I got it. I got you. I got you. I didn't bring you. The Bible says if 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 an earthly father knows to take care of his children, how much more does our heavenly father you know, no, not that there's not a sparrow that falls out the sky and he doesn't know. And so we have to, we have to lose this fear, this intimidation that God is not for us, that God is not with us. And you're going to have to learn to trust God. There's going to be certain people in your life you're going to have to get out of some relationships. Come up here, Jason, bring me my little thing. You're gonna have to, there's some relationships you're going to have to get out of because some of you have people in your life that are just bringing you down. Come on, am I helping somebody here? And, there's, and, and the reality is you're not strong enough yet to, to bring them up. Stand up on that chair, for me. Don't fall now. We believe in divine healing and everything. <laughs> how many people could agree that I could pull him off of there a lot quicker than he could pull me up? So that's how a lot of us are in relation. People can pull you down a lot quicker than you're going to be able to pull them up until you become strong enough. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Thank you, Jason. Did a great job. Let's give him a big round of applause. <clears throat> And so you need to develop a circle around your life. I'm not saying to where you don't impact and love others, but a circle around your life that you're careful who you allow into that. I can look at the five closest people in your life and tell you where you're going to be in life. Let me see the five closest people in your life. The five closest people who are talking to you, mentoring you, coaching you is a good sign of where you're going to end up, where you're going to be. People either build you up or they bring you down. If you hung around millionaires all day, you think the odds of you being a millionaire, go up or go down? Hmm? You know, you, you hung around people who are depressed, angry, you know, you think the odds of you being like that, go up or go down? Yeah. I, when you, if you want to learn to play golf good, you can't go with your buddies who are like driving the car over top of the sand dunes and mulligans all the time. You know what I'm saying? You can't do that. You got to go with someone who takes it seriously. It's the same area. If, if you want to have a great marriage, you need to hang around some people who have great marriages. Yeah, everything everything about you uh, everything around you influences you right? impacts you. And there's some there's some people that you just say, you know, honestly, I'll just I just I just need I, I need to, to focus this year and be around more people. Some of you need to need to be more intentional in picking your children's friends. Don't leave it up to them. Come on. I wish I had somebody say amen to me. Some of y'all parents act intimidated. Uh Alexander said, Well, this is my, I, I'm a, I'm gonna tell you who your friends are. These are your friends. I'm going to be very involved in your life because, I, as a pastor, and I have led youth ministries for dozens of churches as a, as a youth director for, for over almost a decade. And most of the challenges that we find with teenagers when we sit down and talk to them, most of it starts with, with this phrase I once had this friend who invited me to this party, I once had this friend who introduced me to this guy. I once had this friend who told me that I should, you need to be more intentional in being involved in, your, in who your children pick as friends. Come on somebody say amen to me, get involved in their life. Cause right now we live in this fast food generation where, you know, we just drive up the windows and holler out a window and grab a bag and go to the next window. You understand what I'm saying? Everything's Instamatic microwave society, and people hardly even cook anything from scratch. Scratch has been scratched. And, and people don't even know how to cook anymore. And, and everything's quick. And families don't get around tables and say, what's going on in your life today? What did you do? What did you learn in school? Who are your friends? What are they saying? Talk to me. Communicate with me. And teenagers say, nothing. I'm fine. Blah, 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 blah. You got to talk to them. Come on. Somebody say amen. Be involved in their life. Don't be their friend. Be their parent. Be their parent. I thank God I got whoopings growing up. I do. I got a whooping growing up. I couldn't go sleep unless I had a good beating. I was one of those Dennis and Menace kids. I'm one of those Dennis and Menace kids with, with God. So I don't pray those prayers like, God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do anything again. I don't pray those prayers because I know I'm going to do something stupid tomorrow. And around Thursday at 3 o'clock, I'm going to need His help again. And Friday at 3, I'm, you know, so I know. Anybody with me on that? You know, I, I was raised in a i gen- I'm glad I was raised before this new age of parenting broke out. I was raised where you said yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir. Children were seen and not heard. We had rooms you weren't even allowed in. My mama had three children, and she didn't. She didn't childproof the house. She houseproofed the child. Well, she did. Nick, next everything you just didn't touch it. Don't you touch that?
1: How on earth is he supposed to make Jesus or God famous when he's just? This is just a litany of dumb slogans. None of it is taught in the Bible. I mean, how do you biblically correct something that doesn't even? remotely approach being biblical. This is just absurdity. And this is what passes for Christian preaching nowadays. Unbelievable. You die. My mom would tell you, I'll kill you and tell
5: God you died. I thought she could do it too. She said, I have another one tomorrow, look just like you. They wouldn't know you're gone. Go sit in your seat in school. We weren't even allowed in certain rooms. You run to the edge of the living room, look in. You weren't even allowed in there. One day I'm going to go in there and sit down and be grown. Because we didn't have time out. We had time in. Let the bell ring on your rear end. Let's go. But it taught you discipline and it taught you obedience at early ages. And those children that don't learn obedience at early ages, they end up in trouble in school and they end up in trouble with the law and they end up in trouble with the police because you never taught that little crumb snatcher obedience while he's running around your kneecaps. So you learn obedience. Because if you don't teach him at four months, you can't teach him at 14. You can't teach And God knows you can't teach him at 40. That's why well, the Bible says to train up a child in the way he should go, that when he's old, he will not depart from it. It's important to him. I look at Nicholas. He look at me. He look at me sometimes like if I could beat you up, I'd tear you down, beat the tar out of you. He look at me like that, three years old. He's looking at me, I'd beat the tar out of you if he could. <laughs> I look at him, I said, I said, you see that temper in you? I said, I spat that into you. I said, that came from me. And I will not be moved by it. I will not be moved by you. Go sit down. I'm the government. Go sit down. <laughs> you understand? But but it but it teaches obedience and, and success is in the balance of that. Come on. See discipline is a rock and love is a feather, and one rock doesn't equal one feather. It takes a lot more love and affection. Come on, am I right? You can't you can't get on to your kids and then just say, Hey, you know, I love you. It takes more than that. They don't know that you love them. Show them you love them. One of the things I learned about men is uh, a lot of men grew up without affection. They don't know how to share affection. They don't know how to share affection. You know, even though, man, I hug people all the time. So if I hug you, I'm sorry if it offends you or whatnot. I know a lot of people in Minnesota, I go up to hug guys. I'm like, hey, man. They're just like, oh, my God. (laughs) Never had a man hug me in my life. I'm just like, what's up? I just I don't know what's wrong. I just the way I was raised I guess but <laughs> I heard Jason first time I was like what's up Jason? He was like oh my god. <laughs> but but the, but the reality is you're going to have to you're going to have to be willing to exchange the comfort in order to receive the calling of God for your life. And and that's exactly what it is. It's not so much a call as it is a calling. I'm convinced that how I was able to control the kid in me throughout life and make the right decisions that I needed to make was because that there was a kingly prophecy spoken over my life at a young age. I had people who just said, listen, you're going to do something great for God. God's going to use you to do something great for him. You can't do what you see other people do because there's, God's hand is on your life. You, you can't look at other people and say, well, other people can do it and say, well, I can do it. No, no, no. See, God, same thing with, with Jonah. God didn't have a problem with those other people going to Tarshish. The boat was going. God didn't care. But if you get on that boat, I'll call a whirlwind to come get you. And there's some things that when God's hand is on your life, you see other people do it. Doesn't mean you can do it. And, and I, I remember that and there's this, this a kingly prophecy spoken over my life. So when, when the kid in me rose up, I was reminded of the king that was in me. That's what God did to David. God called him a
1: king. Oh, so he had the king in him. Wow. Who knew? Yeah. He doesn't think too highly of himself. Does he? While he was just a kid, God said, I found a
5: man after my own heart, even though it was just a boy. And there was all kinds of challenges and difficulties that he had to go through in his life, but ultimately he became king. And so I want, I want to encourage you to remind the children in your life, remind your spouse, remind your husband that, that, that God's called them to do something great for the kingdom. What is it that God has called you to do? Maybe, maybe you just, maybe you want to be doing, go, go into film or movies. And every time you see a Christian movie, you're like, this just sucks. It's just low grade quality. The acting's poor and it just makes you just get upset about it. And God's called you to change it for the kingdom. You're going to, you're going to write movies and shoot films and go all over the world and do something great for the glory of God. You know, whatever it is. Maybe there's different things or, or whatever, whatever it is. I'm sure God's not called all of us to do the same thing. All the gifts are not the same. But, but God didn't give anybody everything, but he gave everybody something to figure out what God gave you. And that's why we're calling the church to our fast, to bring out the prodigy in you. I remember going with Travis, and I said, I think I could run. Anybody like to run? I'm not a good runner. Not, I run like the refrigerator or different things like that. But I'm, I'm in the process of losing weight. And, and the worst part about dieting is die. You've got to die. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's it's terrible because your flesh
1: don't want to die, and some of y'all in this fashion, your body going. Yeah, it's proof uh, based on your preaching. Your flesh doesn't want to die. There's a whole lot of you, and no Jesus. Apparently, Jesus needs to decrease, and you got to increase. This is all about the prodigy and the king that was prophesied inside of you. This is blasphemy. Can't do it. Can't do it. You can do it. You're not gonna die. You're gonna
5: think you're gonna die, but you're not gonna die. Am I right about it? You're gonna die. And you're like every time you get a hunger pain, pray. And don't pray you, your body body, let's pray for some food. Let's pray over food. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. Because the flesh is strong. Got a will. Oh God, it's got a will. Am I right? See, I'm preaching thinking, I'm going where am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat? Right? So I'm gonna tell you what, you know, I, I, I want you I want you guys to join, join with us in this fast. We need it. We can't go through another year. Come on. Someone's getting too old. Come on. Am I right about it? Someone's getting too old to go through another year
1: uh, of excuses. Why on earth would anybody wake up early on a Sunday morning to go to church to hear this? Serious.
5: Getting too old, too late in the day. The us could go any minute. Smile at me. And so we, we're going to go on this fast. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. And so when you get those hunger pains, man, I want to encourage you to pray. I want you to believe God to do something great in your life this year. There's a dream. There's a passion that God placed inside of you. Some of you, there were prophecies that were spoken over your life. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. As a child. And for whatever the reason, you know, because of bad decisions or whatnot, we feel like we can't make it. I said, you know, I honestly think I could run. I think I could do something really great um, in an athletic ability. But because of the, the bad decisions I had made and put weight on and whatnot, it just hides it. It blinds it. So you don't ever think that that could be you. And some of you, that there's gifts and talents that God placed down inside of you. But because of past decisions that you've made, you don't consider it as a possibility that that could
1: be me, that God could use me to do that. But I'm telling you, boy, this is just just ridiculous. Is he preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Not even close. What do we get at what was the total verse count on this thing? Three out of context? And this the sermon runs like fifty minutes. It's fifty minutes of this guy just blathering on about his ideas, none of it taught in scripture. There's a
5: prodigy down on the inside of you and the enemy wants to blind you to it He wants to just he wants to deceive you to it. He wants to it happens slowly. That's how sin happens I didn't put I didn't put the weight on that i'm trying to lose overnight. Come on having one hamburger at a time one french fry at a time I saw a guy the other day. he was drinking a weight gaining shot. I said I can teach you how to gain weight I can mentor you in that You want to learn how to, come on I coach you Give me an oreo. I gain weight in front of you But you know what I'm talking about? You just look at a cookie. You're like, I didn't eat the cookie. God I just looked at the cookie. And, it's, you know, but, but, but the reality is that, that there's gifts in you. I'm telling you, some of us, we don't even think about it. That's what sin is. Sin just, It's just, it just slowly, and it, it becomes distant and faded. And all of a sudden, it doesn't become a possibility
1: to you anymore. And, and in this series, we won't. He doesn't even understand the biblical concept of sin. It's missing the mark. You want to know what the mark is? Look at the Ten Commandments. We want to help you bring
5: out this year, we want to bring out the gifts and talents and abilities that God's placed down on the inside of you. If you believe
1: God's called you to do something great, give him a big clap offering and praise all over the house. Come on, church. Yeah, if you believe God's called you to do something great, why don't you come up and make a decision to do something great? The Bible teaches none of this narcissistic nonsense. Amen. So we're going to
5: pray for you. I want you to stand up. I want to pray for every person here today. I want to pray for all of you. Everybody, you don't have to lift your hands high, but but could you lift your hands
1: just a little bit? Yeah, no, we're done. So, you know, Jonathan Brozazog um, obviously doesn't have clue one about what the Bible's about. And, I mean, what was the point of reading those three verses to create the impression that what he was doing was teaching what the Bible teaches? But he wasn't. That was an ongoing, almost incessant litany of slogans off the top of his mind, none of them taught in Scripture. Slogan after slogan, assertion after assertion, not one of it, not one of them taught or lucidly communicated from a biblical text. The prodigy in me, though, where did he get that title? From Stephen Furtick. It's clear he, uh, he emulates... Or tries to, you know, look like Stephen Furtick or sound like him in his approach. And it's just unbelievable. And supposedly this is a fast growing, you know, church that proves that God's blessing them because they're growing. It doesn't prove anything of the sort. Show me a church with few people in numbers with a pastor who faithfully preaches the word and points people to Christ and him crucified for our sins. I'll show you a church where God is moving. Regardless of numbers. Numbers deceive. And the worst part about this is that the people who are attending this church think that they're learning something about God or about Jesus. And they're learning absolutely nothing. These are empty words. This is just somebody who likes to hear his own voice. But make sure that he doesn't, you know, actually speak the truth. Read God's word in context, preach what it says in context. No, that would get in the way it might cause him to stop believing some of his slogans or expose some of his slogans to be false doctrine sad, absolutely sad and tragic and folks, this type of preaching is becoming the norm. This is no longer isolated stuff in my vast library of you know of in my collection of of sermons that I collect. This type of nonsensical, empty words, just mushhead, type of preaching is becoming the norm. And why anybody would feel compelled to give any money to these folks and get up early on a Sunday morning or even volunteer their time so that people can attend something like this is absolutely beyond me. They, are, they not only do not deserve a single penny for this type of preaching, they they deserve to be run out on a rail. And somebody who preaches God's word and faithfully proclaims the gospel needs to be put in their place. Oh, unbelievable. So what do you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins.
0: Amen.